0: Welcome to Troubleshooting Agile, a regular problem-solving session for Agile teams. I'm Squirrel, and together with my friend Jeffrey here, we explore common problems Agile teams face, such as slow delivery, tension with the business, or just building the wrong thing. We apply a wide variety of techniques with a special focus on human factors to provide practical, immediately useful advice for getting back on track. Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. So Jeffrey, we've been looking at the Agile principles and we've made our way up to principle number two, uh, having looked at principle number one last week. Principle number two says, welcome changing requirements even late in development. Agile processes harness change for the customer's competitive advantage. And that really reminds me at least of uh, the lean startup and minimum viable products. Jeffrey, what? Uh, how's it seem to you?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that's exactly right. And it's an interesting idea that a minimum viable product is a concept that people are, are very aware of. I think we, at least I encounter quite frequently, that people have heard of the idea of an MVP and will quote an MVP. But usually, in my experience, it's often people just describing the first thing they ship. Uh, exactly. As, as opposed to really understanding the concept of an MVP. And I think the idea of an MVP relates directly to the second principle because it's about, about learning. Um, the idea of, of having a minimum viable product, taking the, the time to have something you can ship early and then learn from it is, is not a free action. And uh, the idea is that we want to get out there. And in lean startup terms, they say that the, the point of an MVP is to give you a maximum amount of validated learning um, with the least effort. And, and those two things go together.
0: I, and so often I see clients who are trying to get validated learning. They, they are, they've got that part, but the least effort part uh, really has not come across. They, they're not thinking about it in terms of how they might do it quickly and easily and simply. They're doing it with quite a substantial amount of effort and planning, and they're very thrown off when they learn something new and have to change.
1: Right, especially because it probably, they put a lot of planning not into their first release, but every subsequent one. And they have a roadmap going out 6, 12, 18 months, you know, exactly what they're planning to do, as though uh, life is going to let them get away with that. Uh, but I, I don't want to focus, I think, this week too much on the idea of, of the techniques around making that minimum part. I think the, that's really a, that idea of being early. We talked about that a bit in last week's podcast, remember we talked about principle number one, that our highest priority is to satisfy the customer through early and continuous delivery of valuable software. And that early part is the idea of uh, of, of the M, of how how minimal can we make this experiment? Instead, I think today we're going to focus on the outcome that we're aiming for, which is the learning. That's really what we're after here. and. The idea of changing requirements, I mean, I remember back before agile was very popular and the idea of late change requirements was an uh, anthema. Those were fighting words uh, yep. between product and development. You know, is is this is this what I asked for? Nope, you're changing the requirements. okay, we're gonna we're gonna have to have a fight then.
0: <laughs> yeah, the saddest thing that I see is people who are applying often scrum, but also other practices, although it's I must see it often see it in Scrum. They will apply it in a very rigid way, and they have exactly the same debate. And I feel like it's twenty years ago, <laughs>
1: which is uh, which is people not having their eye on the outcome, which is we're we're trying to welcome changing requirements because uh, we're we're focused on the customer's competitive advantage. We're trying to learn and understand from our environment as quickly and as often as possible. And that idea of quickly and often, uh, when you and I were discussing it, we, we both immediately thought of the the OODA loop, uh, the the uh, uh, Colonel John Boyd Observe, Orient, Decide, Act. Um, can you tell us a bit about where this theory comes from in the OODA loop? And we'll we'll then uh, talk about how we, we we apply changing requirements as an application of OODA loop.
0: Sure. Uh, I love telling this story. And I think you might know some bits of it that I don't. So uh, jump in and, and tell me where I'm, I'm missing bits. But what I remember is uh, there's this Uh, And as a pacifist, this is a terrible story for me to tell, but it's a good source of learning. So I'm I'm willing to to pick it up. This all has to do with fighter planes. So this chap, Mr. Boyd, was uh, investigating why American fighter planes were so unreasonably effective and they were winning dogfights in the Korean War. Much, much more than you would expect. And the chief dogfight that happened there, apparently, was between the MiG-15 and the F-86. I reserve the right to be slightly wrong about those things. I'm not a military expert. But apparently the, the MiG plane was superior in ceiling, acceleration, rate of climb, and zoom I don't know what all those things are, but they sound like things you'd like to have in a fighter (laughs) plane.
1: Yeah, absolutely. These are kind of the technical uh, uh, superiority. If you you looked at it on paper and you looked at the key stats, you'd go, well, this is the better plane.
0: Exactly. But the major difference between the two that actually seemed to overcome all of those technical deficiencies of the F-86 was that it had this thing called a bubble canopy. And as I understand it, a bubble canopy is kind of gives you a 360 degree view all around you. It's transparent and you can see everything that's happening uh, ahead, behind, left and right. And therefore you can get much more information about the environment and react more quickly. And the MIG had a more restricted canopy and you and I were trying to look it up before. And I'm not sure we understand enough about fireplanes to know why it was more restricted. But the, the clear conclusion that Boyd came to was the MIG plane pilot got information later and less accurately and the F-86 pilot got information more quickly and more accurately because he, or I guess it was he in those days, could look much more uh, around the plane and get more information more usefully. And that allowed the pilot to go through this loop faster. And the, the loop says, first, you observe things around you. That was the key advantage of the F-86 is you could observe more accurately get oriented and figure out what that information means, decide on what to do, and then take an action. For example, turn the plane to the left, or take a dive, or shoot a missile, or whatever it was you were going to do. And the crucial thing is it's a loop, because as soon as you acted, you then get more observations. You observe more things and learn more about what you might do next. And Boyd measured that the F-86 pilots were able to go around that loop significantly faster, and therefore take more actions per minute, and therefore, get more results.
1: And uh, and this is uh, this is something that's been influential in fighter pilot design uh, and and warfare more generally uh, for quite a while. And when we come now back to the world of of, of agile uh, and software, this the same concept applies. We are trying to uh, do the right thing, and using the lesson of the OODA loop. What it means is we want to be able to go through this loop as quickly as as possible and this is our reason for delivering early for having small frequent deliverables is we can get more information from the environment and there's no substitute for that real world experience
0: and you wouldn't we wouldn't expect the fighter pilot to say oh i'm flying this direction and i'm taking this action and fighting with this plane. And therefore I'm going to ignore this information. I'm going to reject this information. I'm not going to break my scrum by uh, turning the plane because a new plane has come up from behind me. Nope. I'm going to keep going, fighting the plane in front of me. And then when i am done with him, I'm going to turn around and deal with the one behind me. That doesn't work so good when you're in the middle of a dogfight.
1: Uh, That's right. Uh, The the idea of sticking with your plan just because it was a plan. I think there's another military aphorism that goes with this, which is that no plan survives contact with the enemy. And, uh, and so,
0: therefore, we'd like to get contact rather quickly, rather than waiting and not getting the information.
1: That's right, and and so this is the idea: is we're, we're going to want to be able to uh, changing requirements, which in the past would be looked at as an inefficiency, are now seen as valuable as the the product that we're looking for. We're, we're not we're not just open to changing requirements, we're seeking changing requirements. We, we have an idea of what we think will work and we want to validate or invalidate that as quickly as possible for the idea of, of ultimately having a better outcome faster for our customers. And and this idea of, of getting out there and learning from our customers, uh, I mean, that's something we, we both have experience with where things just didn't go as we planned. Um, I, I think you, you had a couple of examples you wanted to share with us.
0: Absolutely. Well, I have one client who encountered this uh, sort of as I began working with them. Um, I'll, I'll not say everything about their business for confidentiality reasons, but they're, they service companies in a financial way. So they help them with their financial activities. And of course, one of those activities is sending uh, uh, bills and invoices and collecting money, And the new product they were working on was refinement of a product they already had in this direction that was helping these clients to get out uh, requests for money and get that money in from the uh, people that were their clients. And they had made a plan, which was pretty clear. And for the, the development of this product, first, they were going to get the initial version of the product out, it'd be missing some things. And then they would... Uh, scale it up to larger clients uh, who might have more more demands, have more uh, bills to send. And the two things they encountered as soon as they put it out to the very first customer were that one of the features uh, that they thought was not terribly relevant was super relevant and that the usage was very different. They had thought they were dealing with folks who were billing and uh, requesting money probably every week or so. So maybe they would send a, a bill to a client for a, a big delivery of, say, a car or something like that. And they would make only so many cars per week. These are relatively small businesses. So they were thinking, oh, yeah, maybe they'll log on once or twice a week. And they also thought that these folks would, would have a, a low volume and would not have to use uh, a currency other than the pound here in England, where we are, they would not have to use any other currency very often because, again, their volume would be low and they could deal with these uh, more domestic requests. Well, it turned out that the first one they dealt with was a company that was trading in pre- precious metals. And so they were suddenly doing things like you see on the Wolf of Wall Street or something. You know, They're doing very fast trades. Uh, all day, every day, and so they were logging on twenty times a day. And of course, the developers had built a, a batch system to update once a day. That was way too slow. Didn't didn't work for these guys. And these folks were trading around the world, so they were suddenly taking payments and I don't know drachmas and yen and other <laughs> things that were not were not pounds. So what could easily, the team could easily have said, well, sorry, this is probably the wrong client for us. Uh, We started in the wrong direction. We have a roadmap. We're going to stick to it. And that would have been a valid choice. But instead, they embraced the information this client was giving them. They said, this is wonderful. These people are using the system a lot. We want to encourage this. We would like to have more clients like this. And so they implemented multi-currency features and figured out how to have an online update rather than a batch one. And, and that was a significant competitive advantage. And
1: as you say, that that was um, there's a real tension here between what the team had planned and what they what their expectations were, and and the tension between that and making the customer happy.
0: Absolutely. And, I, and I, this was a very unhappy customer when they first started, but they became a huge fan and uh, made a, a big difference commercially. To, to the later success of the product.
1: Uh, and and I, I think I want to point out probably to that client as well. This sounds like it was solving an important problem for them. They had this need and to, to, to get a, a, a product company that would respond to their needs um, must have been uh, very important for them.
0: That was a big part of their references and saying good things about the company having a promotional attitude to it uh, was Definitely saying, these guys responded quickly to what we needed,
1: and I. And this is part one of the elements I found interesting about the the second principle, which is it says you know we we harness change for the customer's competitive advantage. Of course, that redounds to us, and we end up getting advantage from that as well. Mm-hmm. So it's a uh, it's a it's a mutually beneficial approach, as opposed to if we stick with our plans. Well, we we might feel good about that that we our plan unfolded as we predicted. That we we seem to be leaving our, our customers behind in that case.
0: It's not such a hot idea, and that can that can affect your whole company as well. It doesn't have to be just one product, as here. I think you have an example that might be relevant to that, Jeffrey.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that we're talking about the OODA loop here and learning from from customers, but of course, change is more than just what your customers tell you. Uh, change can can be something very dramatic, and would go back and reference lean startup ideas again uh, in addition to mvp the, the mvp uh, the lean startup also talks about the idea of a pivot where you essentially change your your business plan and uh, i experienced this uh, in a positive sense uh, at least for a short time uh, with a startup i started in in back in way back in 1999 back in the first dot com bubble in those uh, halcyon days uh, at the time we we had a a very clear roadmap similar to what you were describing in your example, where we were what we're going to do over time, we were bringing a product to market that is easiest to describe today uh, as sort of a a combination of GitHub and SourceForge. But at the time, neither of those existed. We were going to provide free online hosting for open source projects, use that to build out a a platform for online collaboration and particularly uh, online software development tools. And we would then... Make that available to commercial companies, and uh, be a software as a service that would uh, service all all types. And
0: it sounds like the, a great plan. How, how did it survive contact with the enemy? <laughs>
1: well, that, but it was everything was going great. We 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 had our initial version of the software ready. We were um, starting to have a first uh, few users, and we were looking about how to get more uh, attention in the market. When suddenly, in I think it was about November of 1999. VA Linux, uh, some people, employees there started a a new project called SourceForge, uh, which immediately sucked all of the oxygen out of this space because at at the time VA Linux was going through an IPO, there's a huge uh, headlines about it, all kinds of attention. And immediately everyone knew about SourceForge. And it was very Little ability for us to get similar sorts of attention. So,
0: for those of our younger yeah. listeners who, who have never heard of it, uh, it still runs, but uh, it, it had the same thing happen to it a few years later with GitHub. So, uh, SourceForge had the the same the same dominance of open source and other source code repositories that GitHub does today.
1: So the, uh, this was a huge change for us, and it really meant changing the direction of, of what we were going to do is from a strategic perspective. No longer could we look at sort of growing with a, a wide base of uh, open source projects and using them as a way to get viral marketing. And instead, we, we changed our plan to move to a, another client base that we had had in our roadmap. But we reprioritized and pulled them forward. And this is the idea of corporations who are looking to host their own open source communities who uh, didn't want to build out their own tools, but rather, uh, but they did want to have close control over what they were doing. And we were able to, to get some clients uh, doing that, as well as then move on from there later on to, to commercial clients. So we, this is an example of a pivot uh, that we had to embrace. And it did it did make a difference because suddenly when we were talking about pure open source projects, there was no uh, very large concerns around privacy, uh, hiding data. But suddenly when you have this slightly different community uh, of a commercial company with this mix of an open source side and, a, and a, an internal side, there was suddenly a different set of features that were required. And so it required that. A shift in, in our priorities,
0: and it was valuable to get the information because you would have never made that shift had you not had the information. In this case, it kind of forced itself upon you; uh, you didn't have to go out and search for it. You suddenly saw in the headlines that SourceForge had appeared and it was sucking everything up. But you you could easily have stuck with your plan and tried to uh, compete with SourceForge. I didn't <laughs> assume you didn't do that for very long.
1: No, absolutely not. We 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 were we were we were quite willing to to say, well, our, or this plan isn't, we don't think it has a, a, a lot of value, so we're willing to, to walk away from it. So we, we were sort of lucky in that sense. We were, it was the, the change was large enough and dramatic for, for us that we were easily able to take it on board. The, the funny part is, and we, we mentioned here that, that we both find the cases where people are talking this language. They're talking the language of agile. They say that they're about agile. They say that they're ab- about lean, they, they they talk about MVP and pivots. And then we go and find out what they're actually doing. And, and in fact, they, they're they not open to changing their plan. They're very attached to their plans. But and even for what sound like very good reasons, I think
0: Absolutely. So something I hear over and over again is uh, we just need to be efficient. If, uh, if we shift our plan at this stage, yeah, clearly it's an MVP and clearly we're going to shift it at some stage. But what we don't want is for someone to interrupt us in the middle of our sprint. And that's going to be two weeks or a month. And we, we'd just be so much less efficient. What do you think of that? How does that work out for
1: you? Well, it's a. I, I agree with you. It's something we hear all the time, and it, it can it can happen uh, from uh, basically every part of the organization. I think in in your, in your context, you're often hearing it from developers. Is that right?
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: And, and for them, the idea of uh, switching contexts, they're they're deep in thoughts of what they're doing. It, it it feels a huge loss to 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 walk away from something that's oh, we're almost there. <laughs>
0: And what's funny is that that's accurate in the microcosm. So if I'm in the middle of working on a particular piece of code, and I'm trying to release something this afternoon, it's useful if people don't interrupt me, if I can have uninterrupted blocks of time, that's useful on the scale of minutes or hours on the scale of days or weeks, when you're trying to react in a very rapidly changing environment, uh, you may wind up being like that MIG instead of the F-86. (laughs) You're just not able to adjust quickly enough. And it's useful not to uh, too tightly apply the principle of flow and continuing in the same direction. Uh, when it doesn't actually help you.
1: Right. And and it's I think this idea of this efficiency so it's not that they're wrong they they would be more efficient if they would continue with their plan but they'll be very efficiently producing the wrong thing.
0: Exactly. Well, it, <laughs> it doesn't help you to to be super efficient at building something that isn't going to work. You could have built the world's greatest sourceforge alternative and you still would have been steamrolled by this uh, giant behemoth that was uh, t- taking over the world. There, there's no point in being efficient at building a source for alternative. You needed to do something else.
1: That, that's right. And uh, it, it, this is what I really like about the, the, we come back to these agile principles and we see what is, what's the focus here? That the agile processes harness this for the customer's competitive advantage. We're, we're, we're not looking at our own comfort. We're not looking at our own efficiency; these are sort of vanity metrics. But instead, we're we're looking at: uh, Are we delivering what people need? Now, this can be very difficult because sometimes the uh, there'll be conflict over this. Salespeople will say, "But I've I've promised a client, you know, I've set expectations in the market. They they know the roadmap." What do you say to people in in, in that scenario?
0: I say uh, we have a difficult choice there. So, as I was mentioning in my example with the the billing example, the um, Uh, Client that we encountered first wasn't the type of client that we expected. And we could have said, that's not the market we want to go after. Uh, We're going to observe this new information, orient and decide not to take an action in that direction, to, to, to not pursue that. And that's a valid choice. However, in many cases, it's actually really useful to use the information that's come in from the real world than the information that you've uh, fabricated as you did your first piece of development. And it turned out in this case that this type of client was actually fairly typical. And uh, for example, multi-currency demands were much higher in the market than anyone thought. So having set the roadmap... It was very useful to be able to shift it. So it's a, it's a choice you need to make. Then you shouldn't discount the costs on either side. One cost is, yes, we are being less efficient. We're coming off our original plan. We are incurring a cost by shifting. However, we may incur a greater benefit from uh, taking on board the new information. And I,
1: and I think this is this is part of the reason why it's uh, so difficult for many people to uh, adopt this principle and to be willing to change requirements because it requires a conversation outside of their control. It's going to have to bring in many stakeholders each with valid interests and there there's a real chance for conflict and for people to be disappointed because what's a win for for one person might feel like a loss for someone else and it's really important to, that as a, as a company, you're making this decision and it's, so it's not something we can just apply mechanically. It's, it's not clear whether this information from one client is, should outweigh what we're getting from other channels, such as our sales channel. That's a, that's a decision you're going to need to make, which is going to require the type of collaboration that uh, a lot of people find very uncomfortable.
0: Indeed, And another reason that people find it difficult is that they, they feel a sense of pride in what they've come up with. So they've, they've built a beautiful roadmap, they've made a plan, they've got feedback from customers, or at least their initial customer feedback that helped them to build the product or the software in the first place. And to, to give that up is psychologically difficult, just forgetting about whether it's uh, rationally correct or not, or whether it uh, takes on board all the information and how you might balance those uh, different perspectives, mm-hmm. it's psychologically difficult, and we, we shouldn't discount that. It's, it's something that is worth recognizing and uh, negotiating with people about. This may hurt you. You may not have fun doing this. The benefit to the company may be greater.
1: That, that, I think that's that's a really good point. And that that idea of uh, the the this, this source of pride in what you're doing, it, we, we, we've had a good plan. I'm doing, I can do masterful work, or maybe I, I really care about making, delivery on my commitments. And we've, we've made a commitment to other people in the, in the company. And what are we going to do uh, about that? I think the, the outcome here is to, that we're after again, we've come back to this idea that, that the client's competitive advantage, if we see that as the new source of pride, that we have the possibility to change do we and i think if we if we if to me this relates back to the fr- first principle that we talked about last week what we talked about in that podcast that we what we were valuing was uh, the throughput of valuable software and we we that we cared more about that over utilization i think was our discussion but it could be any other efficiency metric and i think this is now kind of ends gets us back to that same example from the OODA loop you talked about which is you had two planes one of which on paper you know had great metrics but in in practice the outcomes were different and
0: the, the Russian engineers are probably very proud of their fast and uh, maneuverable plane. Unfortunately it didn't win dogfights
1: and, and so and I think for and, it, and what we're looking for here is to have people say look we we care about delivering, valuable software. It's gonna be through validation in the markets, how we're gonna to get to know that it's valuable and therefore we need to be uh, looking at the outcome for the clients as our as a core principle for us. Uh, now, how to do this, how to respond and make these small changes and and to um, make sure that you're satisfying the client. I think that's something we're gonna get into a little bit more next week when we get to Agile principle number three. About delivering working software frequently. So now we've talked a lot about the the why, uh, and we've given you some some symptoms to look for, people,
0: and some suggestions about how to address
1: it. That's right. So we, I'm sorry if people are saying, uh, you know, we need to be efficient. That sounds like one that you've been hearing a lot. Absolutely. <laughs> then uh, we we have some symptoms to look for this, and uh, now what what to do about it. Uh, we can get onto that next time.
0: Indeed. We'll uh, look at the tools that you might use for delivering working software frequently, what resistance there might be to that, and what it might look like if you're not delivering working software frequently. So that'll be in the next Troubleshooting Agile podcast next week. Of course, we like it if you subscribe and like us and tweet about us and all those nice things. You can find us on troubleshootingagile.com. And something, of course, we always love to get is uh, requests and questions and responses from listeners. Uh, We'd love to include those in the next episode. So please uh, send those along.